Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast on another absolutely stunning evening in New York City. It's 25 minutes past seven. The night session is just getting underway. We'll be back later in part two, as per usual, to wrap up all the action from that. But here we are to talk about what's happened in the day session. And I simply have no choice but to lead with devastation for Matt Roberts because we have just watched... The famously good Nicholas Jarry get absolutely destroyed by Alex de Menor and I feel like to defend your credibility, Matt, you need to need to say something. <laughs> need to apologise, do you mean? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. Look, I actually and I really want you to back me up on this because you were there, Catherine, and I know you remember this. I said I actually don't think he's going to beat Alex de Menor, but I have to go with him for the bit. He had good points available. I didn't think he was going to win, what, five games? That is that is pretty poor against Alex de Menor, I have to say. Yeah, look, I can confirm that, and no one appreciates a commitment to a bit as much <laughs> as me, but I will just say that that bit originated from Matt belligerently informing us that Nicholas Jarry is really good. So... That's Hang just... on, we've gone from good to really good. Okay. <laughs> you need to believe in your player like I believe in he, Dimitrov, Matt. He, he well, got further than Francisco Sarindolo. As, as we come to the people right now, Grigor Dimitrov he, has not played. so He, he got further than Francisco Sarindolo in this tournament. He that did? Was a, that was a head-to-head we were having Hang the on. other day. I'm not a Francisco Sarindolo gal. <laughs> that's... That's not what I'm being pigeonholed into. Uh, Right, as much as I love the commitment to the bit, let's move on to more relevant stories. Look, if Alex Zimanoor goes on to win the title, I'll hold my hands up. But I suspect in terms of the runners and riders here, he will hit a wall at some point. As great a run as he has had so far through this tournament, I don't think he's dropped a set, actually, has he? I think he might have dropped a set in the first round and then the second round he absolutely crushed Wu Li Bing and today he's crushed <laughs> Nicholas Jarry Dimino incidentally awaits the winner of tonight's match between Daniel Medvedev and Sebastian Byers that's the second night session match on the Arthur Ashe Stadium let's go all the way back to the first match 
on the Arthur Ashe Stadium today. Carlos Alcaraz beating Dan Evans 6-2-6-3-4-6-6-3. A spectacular match. Of course a spectacular match from Carlos Alcaraz, but a spectacular match from Dan Evans as well, who brought out the spectacular in Carlos Alcaraz. It was... It was one of the loudest receptions I've ever heard for a non-American losing player hmm. on the Arthur Ashe Stadium when Dan Evans left that court. Everybody inside that place, and it was almost full, wasn't it? It was more than 20,000 people in there were grateful for Dan Evans, to Dan Evans for playing an enormous role in an incredible spectacle. Yeah, they had three and a half hours of just the best time on the court as spectators today because of those two and I think for those of us who've been following Evans for a decade or so I mean it it is 10 years since he beat Nishikori and Tomic and ended up playing Tommy Robredo in that incredible match here when we first sort of thought oh Dan Evans you know there's a viable career there if he could just get himself going and my word have there been some some bumps in the road along the way and to get to where we are now but he put on that court everything he's got and I thought he played brilliantly it's just that he's up against that guy and they really did bring out the best in one another I think it it was a gift to Alcaraz because he loves putting on a show so much he had a guy doing stuff to him that nobody else would be trying and therefore he got to sort of examine all the other aspects of his game and come up with otherworldly passing shots and have to have dink rallies and athleticism rallies and you know it was it was a joy to to behold I'm really pleased for Evans that he managed to get a foothold in the match because he played well in the first set and he was 5-1 down (laughs) Um, and that's how good Alcaraz was at that point but then you know winning a set against the bloke especially when he completely fluffed an open goal backhand volley when Alcaraz was on the floor on set point to still regroup and end up winning that set I think that that could end up being one of the moments that he remembers from his whole career in 10 years time the day he faced Carlos Alcaraz and won a set and played great yeah look the best thing I the highest praise I can give this match is that entertaining matches with no jeopardy don't do it for me at all jeopardy is what gets my juices flowing in this sport and particularly every sport I like stakes I like things to matter I like things to feel like they're on a knife edge and honestly I didn't ever feel like that in this match with Dan Evans there wasn't had he gone a break up in the fourth maybe then it might have turned a bit but as it was there wasn't really a moment where I ever thought the result was in doubt but I still loved the match. Absolutely loved it. And that is highly unusual for me. It was, it was so fun. I, I, I cannot stress enough how, how much it felt like in that fourth set, which Catherine, we went out to watch in the stadium, just seemed like they were each saying to each other, well, how high can you raise your level to be? Like that pole vaulter we were watching the other day. <laughs> yes, yeah. Duplantis. Exactly, yeah. And, you know... Alcaraz was Duplantis. He knows that his level is higher than Dan Evans. Yeah, there comes a point for Alcaraz where he's just competing against himself and yeah. his own world record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's can pretty I, good actually. Can I hit a better forehand passing shot than the one I just hit? Oh, I'll try. <laughs> you know, it, it's like that. And I, and I actually watched the first set of that match on on the state on Ash with um, Louisa Thomas the writer who writes a lot for the New for the New Yorker and she had 
rescheduled her flight when she saw the order of play for today so that she could be here for Carlos Alcaraz. She was, she was meant to arrive at 2 o'clock. She wanted to be here earlier because Alcaraz was on the schedule. And I just, I just really appreciate those moments where I get to realise, you know, people who don't get to watch Carlos Alcaraz that much how important it is for them to see him when they can because he's special and he's different and they know it's going to be entertaining and so she had to be here and yeah I never want to take Alcaraz for granted like I really don't think I do but it was just nice to sort of hear that that that's the sort of lengths that people are going to to see this guy play because they know he's so good and full credit to Dan Evans for bringing out the absolute best of Carlos Alcaraz I was so impressed with Evans today one of the best matches I've ever seen him play yeah agreed and I hope that's enough to help him sleep tonight look he's an incredible competitor I know it'll hurt I know that he's not just going to go oh well I had a good go but I do think there'll be comfort for him in what he played a part in today and how great an account of himself he gave on the biggest stage in the whole sport yeah he he's not one for letting all of his motions go all the time but you occasionally just get glimpses of it and and it, I, I interviewed him for BBC Radio afterwards and it was it was when he was talking about the event as a whole and these events as a whole meaning the Grand Slam so I think there was a real question mark 10 years ago and again 7 years ago and again 4 years ago where his future and his prospects of playing Grand Slam tournaments were massively up in the air he may well never have been doing this at all a lot of it because of, of mistakes he's made in his in his life fortunately they weren't terminal mistakes and he's been given second chances and he's taken them but he he kind of got a a little bit emotional I think when he was thinking you know I, I I just love playing these events it's just so great to be able to play them and and that's when you realize he's got to go out there in front of 20,000 people and show everybody what he's got and he is that competitor who ends up feeling a bit gutted that he didn't win and and he keeps running into third round opponents and coming up short but I still think you know if he were to get a good draw and play like that I mean there's a couple of big ifs there but if they were to come together he could go into a quarter final of a grand slam but you know that just may not happen yeah yeah there was some incredible uh, just little moments and lines from Alcaraz in his post-match press conference he was asked how happy he is with how you're playing he said the question was directly are you happy with how you're playing he goes yup (laughs) (laughs) and then he did go into a little bit more detail but there was a real there was a beat (laughs) yup and then another few beats it was incredible were you worried in the fourth set not really <laughs> and then he went in on to... I mean, he was full of praise for Dan Evans. He loved his game. He loved the match. That that wasn't dismissive of Dan Evans. He was just saying, I never really think about losing the match when I'm in that position. I just He was like, I was just thinking about trying to break his serve. It was, I mean, oh, to be free and loose and unburdened by life in the way that Carlos Alcaraz is. And um, he was asked about how it feels to hit a trademark Carlos Alcaraz drop shot. He was asked to try and describe that feeling. And he just goes, oh, it's great. He goes, when it goes perfect, I just think to myself, I have to hit another one. (laughs) 
It's it's so great. And the and the last line from that press conference was about game set and catch, Matt. Because there we were at the end of the match. Matt hopefully standing there thinking maybe I'll Catherine's new favourite thing is to get me to play game set and catch <laughs> after every after a stadium on, on match. Video. <laughs> for the <laughs> for the one in 24,000 chance that the ball might come to me it's again. Happened, it's happened once, it could happen <laughs> again. And Matt's very sort of like, oh, I'll stand up, but I'm not going to... I'm, he, I'm not going to wave. He's not going to wave. Well, <laughs> uh, he was asked how he chooses. Where is this question He was going? asked, I don't know why he was asked this, but he was asked if how he chooses where to hit the balls. Oh, insider info. Insider info and... The answer was, I was trying to find the Spanish flags. So and he was asked, is that flag. what you always do? And he said, yeah, <laughs> sometimes there are lots, sometimes not many. But that's how I choose. Okay. So something so to think about. Something to think about. Mm. Do Wilson, a Spanish. Do Wilson do anything in yellow and <laughs> <laughs> red? <laughs> uh, next opponent for Alcaraz will be Mateo Arnaldi, who beat Cameron Norrie today 6-3, 6-4, 6-3, two very separate stories here. Norrie, frankly, laying another egg in a in a big match and a big opportunity. And Arnaldi, who can really play. We watched him, David, narrowly beat Artifice, didn't we? Out on court 10 a couple of days ago, and it, it really was close. It was a fifth set. Um, we were out there rooting for Feast because he's our guy, isn't he? But I was impressed with Arnaldi in that match because Feast was throwing stuff at him and he did not blink he was solid as a rock and I know that's damning with faint praise but he's got lovely technique doesn't look like there's an awful lot that can go wrong he's quite sort of malleable and flexible on the court he's got a nice slice he's not sort of um, he's not got variety he's not got variety like Carlos Alcaraz has got variety but he's not just a baseliner he's got some court craft about him I think and look had Norrie shown up today he would quite possibly still have had a match on his hands against Arnaldi but Norrie didn't show up today no uh, on Arnaldi I feel like I'm still looking at him as the opponent of somebody I'm interested in and he's making me look at him as something other than that so you know fair play to him and also I kind of want to watch him in a match on TV now that's (laughs) two matches I've watched in person I don't feel like I know a know him through the TV lens which is what I'm normally looking at so I want to add that to the to the courtside experience we had from the other day but what was very clear and talking to Cam afterwards because I I spoke to him for BBC Radio is that Cam's plan A just immediately wasn't working and whatever that was and I think the gist of it was was to try to take over and be able to take this guy out and that just was not coming up trumps at all and I suppose when you've just diffused the game of Artifice albeit in five sets but you've found a way through it who is a lot more explosive than Cam Norrie you don't mind a ball coming at you with some pace and you can do stuff with it and Norrie's equilibrium in the match physical equilibrium looked off he he, he, he said as much afterwards he said I just couldn't seem to get my feet in the right position um, you know, you, you and I talked about it afterwards, and you mentioned, you know, he used to be such a gritty guy who would dig in and just play a billion balls, really, and 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 make you beat him. And and these days, at the moment, he seems to try to hit his way out of trouble more than doing that. And he was missing so many. 
And I wonder if that's about being a top player. I would say so. That would um, make sense to me. Yeah, because it's never it's not, never really kind of felt natural on him being a top player. It seemed to so suit him being a scrappy underdog. But then he was so good at being a scrappy underdog, it's elevated him to a place in the game that look, he's absolutely deserves. The rankings don't lie, but it perhaps doesn't seem to suit him so well. And maybe that's got in his head. And I just remember how hard Indy used to feel. Those players that have come through the US college system. I remember his his first ever Grand Slam match win here at the US Open. I can't remember who he beat, but it was out on some outside court. I didn't even know about him until that year. I want to say 2016 US Open, maybe 2017, something like that. And I was waiting courtside to interview and he was just so tough to beat it was just his whole attitude was I'm hard as nails I will outlast you I will deal with whatever nonsense is happening out here I'm used to playing either in front of absolutely nobody or incredibly hostile crowds or whatever it might be I'm I'm the tough guy here and I just feel like a bit of that has been lost where was the resilience today it feels like if he's not playing playing his A game he can't find anything else. He can't and he's find not a, a shot B or maker, C game. Really, and he's tr- kind of trying to be one. Mm. I think, in a way that, yeah, I, I, I think there's something to that. I mean, it happened with Leighton Hewitt. Obviously, he got to world number one, and he was a brilliant returner and lobber. But there was a point came that he just felt like he got to add power and he mm. got to knock people off the court. I think Dimonor has the same challenge. You know, what am I? And you've got to be careful not to take away from your wheels and your 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 scrappiness mm. that gets you your a lot of wins. Your horse lungs. Yeah, your horse lungs. Um, one Brit left standing then. That Brit is Jack Draper, who was 70-30 on playing the tournament a week ago. Extraordinary. Extraordinarily. Four sets for him uh, over Michael Moe, the USA, on the grandstand court. His first ever non-straight sets win in a slam. And he talked in his press conference after the match today about how the only other two four-set matches he's played at slams, uh, what would they have been, Nadal in Australia and um, Dumanor at Wimbledon. Nadal? Djokovic at Wimbledon as well, I think. He, Djokovic he won a set, at Wimbledon. If you remember yeah. a few oh, well, that's, years ago. that's actually Jack Draper's error, David, not mine. He, yes. referenced, Nadal, <laughs> he referenced Nadal and Dumanor, but he said in those two matches he cramped in both of them. Right. So for him to come through that one physically, and look, I don't think he was in the best shape at the end of the match. He needed that to be over in four. I think he took a he he took a um, time violation penalty as he was serving for the match just to buy himself a bit of extra literal breathing space. But biggest win of his career, I think, absolutely massive. Yeah, there's a really nice full circle sort of narrative to it isn't there because of course it was on the grandstand court last year in the same round where he had to retire mid-match against uh, Karen Hatchinov wasn't it and you know he's been plagued by injury since then and now he comes back and tennis sport I don't know life can, can work in those ways sometimes where he as you said wasn't even sure he was even going to be able to play this tournament and he's now having his best ever run at a slam. I think it was important, as you said, that he won that in four. He was starting to feel it physically in that match. I think he got really frustrated in the third set where he was down a break and he kept having chances to break back but couldn't take them. 
And I, I just wonder whether some of that frustration was related to the fact that he maybe knew that if this gets really physical, you know, Michael Moe has just come back from two sets down the other day. He's done it previously this year as well. He didn't want to get dragged into that sort of match today in a contest where he was the better player and he, he should have been winning it. So full credit to him that he came through uh, in in the fourth set and I loved the scenes at the end. His his celebrations showed you exactly how, how much this meant to him. He's and got real heart, hasn't he? He does. Jack Draper, real heart. Um, yeah, I thought Michael Moe could have... Like, he's never going to win a shot-making contest against Jack Draper, I don't think. I mean, no. should probably have been dragging those rallies out longer. But easy to say, you know, he's... He's played a lot of tennis the last week, and it's. I know he's he's been to other third round of Grand Slams before this year, but generally speaking, this is all pretty new to him, isn't it? It's it's been a great year. There was a very gutsy serve volley from Jack Draper in the final game of the match. I think he was break point down mm. as he was serving it out and came up with a serve and volley to save the break point. He's got and, lovely hands, and, and I just thought you, know, you need those skills if you, if you're going to be a top player which I think we all think he can be if he gets a run of health those little skills that he seems to have in his game will will take him that far like he, he's he's got so many options in his game he, he's he's pretty well rounded really mm. and I thought he just just showed that right at the end there where you know maybe he was a bit tight off the ground but he was able to mix it up and play the serve volley it was it was impressive and, and speaking of serve volleying and variety did we see just a little bit more of that today from Yannick Sinner against Amberinka? Just a bit more willingness to come into the net and, and finish things off. I still think there's a long way to go. He's on a journey and I still think it's never going to be instinctive for him because it kind of either is or you isn't. It, it, it is or it isn't. But he's trying to learn it and I feel like baby steps of, of progress... That, he, that of what I saw anyway. Yeah, I, I didn't see a huge amount of the match, but he's a he's a real student and ideal for somebody with the wealth of knowledge of someone like Darren Cahill and the rest of the team there. But Cahill was very clear when when I spoke to him that, and that, that was back in March, that he does want him to go to the net, uh, not not all the time, but to be a, to be a feature there and. When you've got those ground strokes, you want to be able to shorten points. You know, you've got they're setting you up, they're asking for it. Um, and actually, I think that today is not the worst sort of way to practice that. It's against a guy with a single hander, albeit a brilliant one in Stan Wawrinka, who's not going to be as quick as some of the players that he plays against. And Are you suggesting you might play a single rounder next? A single hander next? Who? who where? Where is well, he? Well, it's the draw? Very Oh, uh, right. Oh, well. Okay. That is a tall order for Grigor um, <laughs> but I still believe um, but no I mean I, I, I do I've, I'm, I don't rearrange my day to watch Yannick Sinner but I am still at the same time really interested in his career progression because of I think he is a brilliant player like he, his, his ball strike is incredible to me and I just I'm fascinated to see how far he can take him and how far he can evolve with stuff like mm. you're talking about um, so you know and I, and I love I love his appetite for it all so it, it, it's just an interesting one to follow mm. yeah I was impressed today with Sinner I wanted to see him 
tested by Wawrinka and he really was I think Sinner played a poor second set and that really allowed Wawrinka into the match but then the third set was back and forth they were both playing well at the same time Wawrinka had huge support on, on Armstrong and Sinner lived with him and raised his own level and I thought that was particularly impressive actually I thought there was a there was an opportunity he could falter there mm. and he didn't and he stepped up and I liked what I saw yeah I thought he did a lot of good snuffing out mm. in the match today preventing sort of the the Stamarinka steam train mm. from really getting rolling as it could have done becoming a massive factor. after that second set exactly yeah it was, it was impressive from Sinner so yeah Zverev or Dimitrov next for him uh, on to the women's matches that we've seen in the day session and a victory for Jessica Pegula over Elena Svitolina, which from what I saw, of it didn't see every single point, but watched a lot of this. I actually thought it was more convincing than the scoreline suggested. 6-4, 6-2 for her over Svitolina. I thought she was fantastic today, Pegula. Incidentally, if you hear some roars during this podcast, they are for Jessica Pegula and Coco Goff because they're on the grandstand court behind us here now playing doubles and I just saw Steve Fraser at the Times who said that there have literally been people waiting on the grandstand court for, for hours for them to come on wow. and wow. claiming their seats, claiming their position okay, thoughts and prayers for packed. Andrew who's he's, here today and he, headed off at the last minute yeah, to see that he's now on court 17 Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. which is sta- also great it was standing room only wow. on ground. it was quite interesting I, I only tuned in to Svitolina and Pagula at the end of the second set when kind of the wheels came off a little bit for Pagula and Svitolina took over and, and actually in the interview afterwards, Pegula was saying those first couple of sets, neither one of us were, it was a bit scrappy. But then she just took over in that third set. And I think that that reboot and reset against a player as good as Svitolina, when it'd be so easy for the nerves to be jangling at that moment. Mm. And, you know, you to, you to just realise, geez, the whole... The whole of America is banking on me having a deep run here. I'm supposed to do that. She didn't flick it, did she? She just took it on. Yeah, it was an impressive acceleration. Like, she she stopped. There's one of those rules. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? This is just going all around. I mean, this is miles away, this, this match, mm. from where we are right now. And it's so loud. Yeah, she just stopped Svitolina in her tracks. Right when Svitolina sort of had her grip on the match and she was dragging it into a third set, Pagula just took off and really started to play well having having not played as well I think through the first two sets as you said but by the end great stuff from Pagula yeah I thought it was Djokovician from Pagula today and I, I quite often think that the, the way she just suffocates opponents with her depth and her change of direction and injection of pace at times like she doesn't have the upper gears that Novak Djokovic has that's why she's hit a ceiling at Grand Slam's quarterfinals so far. That's that's the question hanging over Jessica Begula whether she can develop those absolutely top gears. But in terms of her sort of her average level, I think it's incredible, really. Um, yeah, and she plays Madison Keys next. That'll be Monday and, and Labor Day. There's another good test for her game against a big hitter. I actually like seeing her playing big hitters and redirecting a little bit like Djokovic does against people, to use that analogy. And and she's a great scurrier, a, a defender. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I thought actually that was a good win for Keys today from a set down against uh, Ludmila Samsonova, wasn't it? Which is another one I've got wrong in the newsletter. <laughs> yes, ask for Andrew's assessment of that match because he was out on Armstrong watching the whole thing and he said Keys was the better player even in the set she lost. Oh, really? That's interesting. She did, Samsonova, if it makes you feel any better, she did have a medical timeout in she had, the. She had a medical timeout on stages. her shoulder despite having strapping on both legs. <laughs> So, a bit of a tough scene there for Samsonova, oh I think, by the end. Uh, before that match on Armstrong, it was Arena Sabalenka dropping just two games against Clara Burrell, making it only 12 games lost for Sabalenka to reach the second week. And she's she's done it a bit under the radar because all of her matches have been on Armstrong. And that was something she was asked about in press today and she wasn't sassy about it I don't think it's something she would have proactively brought up but she answered a straight question straightforwardly and she's not that chuffed about not being on Ash yet I don't think yeah she said I want to play on Ash mm. you know and understandable you know number two player in the world and I, I actually felt like generally her answers in that press conference were kind of like her score lines, you know, pretty short and sharp. It was brusque, wasn't it? Right. and That was actually pretty much the longest answer. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we've, we've spoken in the past about how sometimes Sabalenka can almost get herself, can sort of tie herself in knots a little bit sometimes with some of her answers in press. It seems a lot more business-like, a lot more focused and... Look, she's had a great draw. Let's be, let's be very clear about that. She should be winning these matches pretty straightforwardly but she has been and that's that's all you can really ask I don't know I just think the big tests for Sabalenka lie, lie ahead don't they we know how good she can be when she's playing well and how she can dominate opponents but we know that she can get tight in in latter stages of of slams but it makes for a very interesting second week for how her. big a test do you see Kazakina as being She's generally had the better of that matchup. Uh, again, it, it, it's one of those where it is pretty much entirely on Arena Sabalenka's racket. She is going to be able to tee off on the Kasatkina serve. You know, Kasatkina, who I love and I love to watch her play tennis, she she sometimes is sort of muscling the serve as much as she can, and it's seventy-five miles an hour there for Sabalenka to hit. So it's going to be on her racket. If she's controlled and in her zone, I think Sabalenka will be fine. If she's a little bit off, though, Kasatkina can get her moving and maybe get her malfunctioning a bit. But I would back Sabalenka in that one, given the form we've seen from her so far this tournament. Mm. It's, it's on paper a nice match. Great. If Kasatkina yeah. can bring it and disrupt Sabalenka a little bit, it's an interesting matchup. But I do, I, I think the test. Look, I think it's as simple... I expect her to reach the semi-final. And I'll judge her on what happens mm. then. Yeah. That's and how I feel about Savalenka. This is now the first time ever she's reached the second week of all four slams in the same year, like which I think is just an interesting marker of a player's consistency. Mm. And consistency is not something I ever would have associated with Savalenka, you know, a few years ago, but it's really something that she has improved. Like, it's hard to be consistent in tennis it really is you know that's why that's why predictions are so hard because players forms can vary and sort of most weeks this year Sabalenka has 
has been there or thereabouts. She may not have won all the titles, but it's really hard to win titles. And she has been a consistent force. 20 wins, two losses at majors this year. That's that's really impressive stuff from her. Uh, Zheng Xinwen beat Lucia Bronzetti 6-4 in the third for Zheng. She was, she was in trouble in that match. I think that's a big win for her. Three to the fourth round here. I think for the first time she awaits the winner of the match currently on Ash between Jabir and Buzkova. Buzkova, with the early break, will be um, talking about that match in part two, so I won't go too much further with that. Actually, what I wanted to touch upon in the remainder of part one is uh, further developments in the WTA finals saga that we talked about a lot in our preview podcast, and it's something that John Wertheim has been uh, reporting on in great detail. He obviously has a very reliable source inside the WTA. In fact, he was reporting today that his source is someone from the, the WTA board. We don't know who. I'm imagining investigations are very much ongoing <laughs> internally. But um, John Worth, I'm reporting on the Tennis Channel today that now, as we come to you on Saturday evening, New York time, Prague is the front runner to be awarded the WTA finals for this year possibly a multi-year contract who knows but certainly for this year now the last time we updated you on this Saudi Arabia was very very much the front runner in fact it worryingly sounded like close to a done deal on the Saudi Arabia front the board vote has apparently been postponed we were expecting it to take place on Tuesday, not sure precisely when it's been postponed to, but I don't think it's happened yet. And there's an increasing feeling that the decision to cross the Saudi Arabia Rubicon is too rushed. Uh, John Wertheim said something today on Tennis Channel suggesting there hasn't even been a site visit to Saudi Arabia. It's all this enormous crossing of a boundary from which I don't think there'll be any coming back from. Once the Saudi Arabian genie is out of the bottle... There's no going back from that. And it's all happening far too quickly and with far too little consideration. There's also news from John that the intention is not to announce the decision on what the board has voted until after the US Open because they want to protect the players that are in the latter stages of the tournament from having to field questions about it. He also updated later on today that um, the, it's a possibility that the Czech bid wouldn't be Prague. It would be Ostrava. Ostrava! <laughs> um, but it, it's most likely to be that. Prague, but apparently Ostrava is also a possibility. There's a bid in from Cancun, apparently. But very much the latest news, as it stands right now, is that Czech Republic is heavily favoured. And it had been reported by John earlier this week that the money involved, the prize money being offered by the Czech bid was pretty much the same as the Saudi Arabian bid that we're not talking about obscene money from Saudi Arabia here, we're not even talking particularly about more money, which made it seem pretty astonishing to us that, that they'd be going there, because money is, money is quite frankly as much as people make flowery protestations and justifications around the issue money is the reason people are going to Saudi Arabia um, I believe there was a potential visa issue um, in the Czech Republic 
Russian and Belarusian athletes are still currently banned from travelling there. But I also heard reports that that is scheduled to be lifted before the finals. So that's yeah. where we're at. Well, I, I don't think they should be going to Saudi Arabia anyway um, at all. And unless, unless something massive changes. Um, but at the very least, I think that this is a way to buy some time and get the damn event scheduled and get it on the calendar and get it in a place where everybody can get behind it and just crack on. Uh, so, yeah, good reporting, John. Let's hope it happens. And we'll keep you posted, quite frankly, on that situation. It's um, Look, they've said or we understand that it won't become public until after the US Open but it's been quite a leaky boat (laughs) that one so I wouldn't be surprised if there is some sort of news in the next week so we will uh, we will absolutely keep you posted situation at the moment in soon to be added eight tennis news is that Katie Bolt is fighting back against Peyton Stearns in their third round match that got moved to court 17 because of the suitable rest that Jessica Bagula had to take after her singles before playing her doubles match with Coco Goff that was scheduled on grandstand before Stearns against Bolter, which I don't think is the best scheduling moment of, of the week, necessarily. No, but Goff had to be on before uh, Stearns-Bolter because she's playing day session tomorrow in singles. Basically, we love Goff and Bagula <laughs> playing doubles. But- but it the schedulers do not. Absolute <laughs> havoc. <laughs> absolute <laughs> havoc. Um, they're six one up against Bookshire and Panava. Reggie. <laughs> Reggie's definitely tuning in. Uh, Grigor's got the break back against Zverev. Uh, who knows what David, what mood David will be in well, later when we come back to, to wrap to. that one up. And Jabir is five two down to Buzkova. So we'd better go and watch all this. And we'll be back with part two in just a moment. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Welcome back to part two, where you find us back at Tennis Podcast Towers at one forty-six a.m., having the three of us watched what turned out to be quite an eventful night session. Before we get into all of that, I'm going to tell you about AO Travel. If you've been listening to our US Open podcast, you'll know the Tennis Podcast throughout this fortnight is brought to you in partnership with AO Travel. They operate the travel program for the first Grand Slam of the year. What else but the Australian Open? AO Travel, take care of your flights, premium accommodation, tickets to the event and behind-the-scenes experiences, including the all-new AO Travel Lounge, which overlooks not only Rod, Rod Laver Arena, but also Grand Slam Oval and is exclusively available to AO Travel guests. So... To celebrate the launch of that AO Travel Lounge, one lucky Tennis Podcast listener will be winning an AO Travel Premium Lounge package, not only for themselves. I mean, it'd be a pretty lonely... I'm sure they'd have a great time, but a, a lonely great time. <laughs> but also a friend to visit the Australian Open in style next January. The winner will receive two return economy flights to Melbourne, from their nearest airport, tickets to Rod Laver Arena over the middle weekend of the Open for two people and three nights accommodation at the five-star Pullman on the Park Hotel in Melbourne, as well as two-day access to the luxurious AO Travel Lounge. It's an incredible prize package, folks. And to enter the draw, you click on the link provided in your show notes or in our newsletter. You have until Monday the 18th of September at 11.59pm New York time to enter terms and conditions apply. Good luck. And without further ado, let's talk about Pam Shriver and Daniil Medvedev. <laughs> they are the stars of tonight. <laughs> Possibly in that order. We've yeah. watched a lot of Cool stuff tonight. It's been a fun night session, but I am still reeling for the way that it ended. The last words spoken on the Arthrash Stadium tonight were Pam Shriver <laughs> into the microphone, speaking to millions, saying, Daniil, you're a piece of work. Hand on his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> And it's hard to argue, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... <laughs> In the nicest possible way. I think Daniil would probably take that on the chin. I mean... Mm, probably take that knew, as a compliment. He knew what he was doing in that post-match interview, didn't he? He certainly did. I mean, Pam, Pam set him up to talk about the New York crowd. Which I was so excited when she asked that question. I thought, yes, Pam, that is the Medvedev sweet spot. Get him talking about the New York crowd. And honestly, he was he was annoyed. I think generally in that post match interview, he was annoyed perhaps at how that third set had dragged out and become quite precarious. He was annoyed that it was all so late, and he was annoyed with individuals in the crowd 
who were putting him off between first and second serve. That was that was his main complaint. He said, I love you all, apart from those who are shouting out between first and second serve, and then zeroed in on a specific man. Who and his was... potential wife. <laughs> he said, I don't know if he has a wife or girlfriend, but she's probably having a bad time. <laughs> and then he did a sort of impersonation mm. of the guy mm. shouting in Spanish. And... Uh, yeah, that was when Pam informed him he's a piece of work. <laughs> uh, it was fabulous, wasn't it? What a bizarre match. I know it, on paper, looks a little bit similar to the Medvedev's previous match against Chris O'Connell in that kind of seemingly cruising for two sets and then suddenly gets unexpectedly locked in a battle. Actually ended up turning this one around without dropping the third set just by the skin of his teeth and potentially helped out by a 10-minute delay for a roof closure at a very crucial moment um, in the latter stages of that third set. But still, the rhythms of the match were quite similar and yet it felt quite different to me. Yes, Baez did start playing better, but not like Chris O'Connell was playing two nights ago, I don't think. For me, this was more about Medvedev just totally going off the boil yeah I, I i thought that i thought he lost a bit of focus really in that third set because he was playing really really well in the first two sets and and he he was saying that he thought Baez was playing quite well and actually some of the rallies were good it's just you couldn't really figure out too many ways that Baez could end up winning them hitting the winning shot because medvedev wasn't missing and he's got a slightly bigger weight of shots certainly with the flat strikes um, but he he is doing this a bit, isn't he, in mm. this tournament? I mean, I agree with you, but uh, Christopher O'Connell turned into Lou Hode for about a set. <laughs> He's suddenly <laughs> extraordinary. Um, but the, the there is still something about Medvedev that is a little unstable during this tournament. Oh, he's right on the edge. Yeah, I mean, that that was... I mean, it, it ended up being a funny interview at the end, but it was... The first answer was terse and cursory. He had and, a, and a dark, stormy look in his eye. He kept on, on adjusting his hair in a way that he was really agitated, generally. And I don't know. I just I just think it, 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 it leads some, to some absolute gold... But I'm not completely sure whether this is what he needs in order to go as far as he could go because he was flying in that match and then it ends up becoming a bit of a mm. an ordeal and it shouldn't have been really. And Medvedev is very consistent with that, isn't he? He he says that when he loses his mind a bit on court, it affects his tennis negatively. And I think sometimes that's maybe hard to reconcile with the fact that he got to the 2019 US Open <laughs> final in the way that he did but I think he's right and he got really frustrated in that third set lost his way was was gesturing over to his box repeatedly and it was you know it's a bit of a chicken and egg did did his drop in form cause that or did that cause his drop in form it's quite hard to tell where one starts and the other ends but it was all tied up together and yeah he, he I think unstable is a great word for it. Mm. He, he's right on the edge. I don't remember. I don't remember this sort of thing when he won the title. Right, that's it. I do think generally his best tennis comes when okay, he's fun and he's still a great watch and he's going to give a great interview. But there's 
much more I don't know if mischief right yeah 2019 was mischief rather than darkness Mm. and there are similarities and there is overlap but he feels just on the other side of it but the, the, to what, me this what, time. What was in common with 2019 as well is he, he was losing his mind against people who aren't the top players in the mm. world. And he was on the edge against Feliciano Lopez and one or two others. And Lopez was a very good player and dangerous. But, you know, you're not talking about when he, when he beat Djokovic in the final two years ago. I don't think, I don't think he could afford to have mm. been like this. Yeah. He was totally zoned and, in that And night. I think he's at a stage in the tournament now, playing Alex Dimonor in the next round, who's got a couple of wins against him, fairly recent wins against him. I don't think he can afford the laps that we've seen in the last two matches. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because maybe the fact that he his subconscious will know he can't afford it mm. will actually prevent him from yeah. doing that. He'll he'll subconsciously put boundaries in place that don't exist against a Byers or an O'Connell because as much as you have to pay your opponent respect and everything, it's a different it's a different match for him. One I'm excited about, actually, mm. think, in a couple I think of days' time. Dimonor's got a real chance, I mm. think. Because he beat him, didn't he, in the, earlier in the summer. And I know mm. it's still very different, but I really give him a chance. Matt and I watched um, the other half of Alex Dimonor and Katie Bolter. Um, and by that I mean Katie Bolter. <laughs> <laughs> lose, on, <laughs> lose on court 17 earlier to Peyton Stearns. Peyton Stearns making it both 2022 NCAA college champions through to the fourth round of the next year's US Open, Ben Shelton and Peyton Stearns. And I won't give the game away, but today's Matt's stat in the newsletter is related to that. Da, da, da. With an assist from Catherine. Mm, that's why I've mentioned it. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was very impressed. I had nothing to do with it. I just sort of stood here open-mouthed. I love playing a tiny uh, assistant part in Matt's stat. It really makes my day. It is the happiest you, you are all week. <laughs> and let's talk about the first night session mash, match on Ash tonight. Ons Jabur continuing the dramatics against Marie Buzkova. Now, some of our collective attention was diverted towards Grigor Dimitrov during this match. Can't remember that. We're naming no names. There's no need to talk about it. He did indeed lose to Alexander Zverev. Probably shouldn't have done. It was all... It was all exactly as you'd expect, folks, on that one. Played brilliantly, didn't... Win. Didn't win. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, look, we... We watched a lot of the final set of this. Our understanding from Mary Carrillo, amongst others, is that certainly in the first couple of sets, the quality of this match was incredibly low. It was scrappy, it was dramatic and compelling, but in terms of the tennis, not high quality. Third set, I thought, had fits and fits and starts of good quality. Certainly more so from Jabir. That's why she ended up going on to win it. Marie Buzkova was struggling with a leg injury and Jabir did a good job of moving her around, I thought. But it is a struggle with Jabir at the moment. Where is the Minister of Happiness? I want her back. Where is she? I know. She's, She's 
been left on centre court. I think. Does talk she still about, look talk about dark and stormy. I I don't think so. I mean, I doubt she's completely rejuvenated from from what she's been suffering from because she clearly was suffering a lot a few days ago. But see see what we said two days ago and two days before that. It's not just that that's going on with Ons Jabeur. No way. Because we saw this in Cincinnati. We saw it in Canada. This is... She's... this. There is a darkness in her that wasn't there before Wimbledon. It may be temporary. It may linger in some form for the long term. I, I Only time will tell. But there is a there is a darkness about her and it is strange strange to watch mm. i know the intensity's always been there and it's not like she's never been like alcaraz like sort of beaming after every rally but there has been a a lightness to her and a feeling of wizardry and fun mm. yeah now it's a it's it's a darkness and a heaviness. And yeah. Every match I've watched of Ons Jabeur's in this tournament and in Cincinnati as well. So, you know, all the matches since since that Wimbledon final and, of course, that Wimbledon final have just been an ordeal. Just mm. a player who doesn't seem to have her game, doesn't seem to be in the right headspace to deal with that, is still somehow coming through a lot of matches and winning them, which speaks to just how damn good she is, I think. But it it feels like a regression to me. It it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like she's kicked on since that Wimbledon final. It, it still feels like that is lodged in her brain. I mean she said as much at the start of the tournament. Plus the illness. It's it's a tough watch at the moment, Anshabur. And Anshabur is maybe the most fun player to watch normally and it's not that at all the forehand today was all over the place and the serve as well that's a shot that she said in her press conference she really needs to get back and start hitting her spots with that I think it's a pretty staggering effort actually to make it through Mm. to the fourth round here yeah it cuts both ways doesn't it I mean given all that incredible that she's in the second week totally but It's interesting, isn't it? Because I haven't seen, I don't think, a ball of her in any of her matches. I just haven't happened to be on any of her matches. Or and or I've had a situation where Grigor Dimitrov has <laughs> occupied my time for two and a half hours. Wasted, yeah. Yep. Uh, that, I did enjoy them. And then, it, and then, them. And then I didn't enjoy them. Um, but no, I mean, look, I haven't seen a play. And, and so from the outside and just hearing... If, a few of her quotes and I suppose the glossy sheen that maybe uh, the the tournament's Twitter feed might put mm. up on her quotes or something like that. I'm looking at it from the, the view of she's a scrapper and she's fought her way through and she's a warrior and she's, you know... And I then, mean, she is all of those yeah, things. But, but, but then to get your first-hand, account, first-hand accounts of watching her and seeing her and feeling what it's like to be in her company, so to speak, on the court, it, that, it's obviously not like... It's, there's a lot more to it than that. And 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 she is going to need to find more than just warrior mm. instincts. It, That's not going to be enough to win this title. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel that sustainable right now. Like every 
every day in our predictions when Ange Shabur is playing, whoever's got first pick basically is picking someone to beat Ange Shabur really? for the upset. That's, That's interesting. It's just the sort of feeling you get watching her. Is Zhang Xinwen next? And I, look, she's a really good player. Um, she fought well today, Zhang Xinwen, but I do think she's vulnerable. I, I could see Jabur fighting her way through that, but after that it would be Kasatkina or Sabalenka, and I, I think that'll be the end of the road. Although, Do you think maybe she could play her way into form, though, in the next round? Possibly. Does that happen at, you know, in Grand Slams? Do you? I mean, I kind of felt a little bit that Sviantec did that last year. She... She found a game late on. I mean, look, Jabeur's not as good as she Of, of course but. players play the way, but I just feel like she's ca- carrying something around with her and maybe she could have an experience on court that will pro- would provide some sort of catharsis. Maybe she needs to play Marketa Vondrosheva. Oh, that's a good shout. And get a demon mm. out. Well, she's, well, she deliberately practised with Vondrosheva before the tournament, she Is said, she? in an attempt to... Oh, that's interesting. Get the demon out, and she was like, did not work. Oh. (laughs) She's such an interesting case study, isn't Mm. she? Wow. I think she needs to win Wimbledon to get the demon out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay, then. We'll do that. Yeah, that's the thing. Even if she somehow went and won this US Open, there would still be a Wimbledon demon. It feels like there's two separate things here. There's Jabur's quest to win a slam, and there's Jabur's sort of dream-like, Wimbledon thing I think it'd be like Andy Murray winning the US Open though after all those mm-hmm. Wimbledon disappointments yeah. yeah although then he was helped with the Olympics at Wimbledon as well you're not striking me as a believer <laughs> well, we've right been, now I'm we've not. been a believer once tonight <laughs> yeah, David you've, you made us a believer <laughs> I and had a great time Grigor Dimitrov failed to convert multiple set points do you have anything to say about that, David? Yeah, he played really, really well. And um, Zverev is... Uh, he He's a tenacious fighter. There's a nastiness to the way he's prepared to fight. Um, and, you know, there was a moment where he got angry and he walked back to his chair and he sort of was, was shouting, come on, having held right in Grigor's face. Not at him, but in his... In his vicinity, and I was thinking Grigor wouldn't do that because he's too he's too nice, you know. And and actually, you need you probably need a little bit of that in you to 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 get through those sort of moments. But look, Dimitrov played pretty much as well as he can play for two sets. Um, he, he gets out out muscled really by Zverev, and and his answer to it was to diffuse with the backhand the way he had against Murray, and then and then conjure. To use the whiplash forehand, to use a good serve, the incredible movement that he's got, but just to conjure. And you don't, I haven't seen that many op- uh, moments where he's done that successfully, but he did tonight. B- managed to win the first set on the tie break. He was 4 2 up in the second set. He had set points in the second set tie break. And then you could see he was like somebody holding a boulder that's coming down a hill and he's just holding it and he's holding it and he's holding it. And then eventually his resistance just gave way and he couldn't anymore and it just ran away and uh, I mean you have to give Zverev credit for keeping on coming because he was second best for a lot of it um, but he won the match and and then I'm afraid that is quite symptomatic of Dimitrov's career that that match 
you could probably say, if you want to know what it was like following Grigor Dimitrov for 15 years, watch that. So my final question to you on this, David, the eternal optimist, the most optimistic human being I know. Next time this situation arises, and it will, it will, will you believe? <clears throat> um, I mean, did I believe... Will you, will you troop out there to the press seats? Yeah, I loved it. I had the time of my life for two sets. But, but will we you all believe? were. I don't even know if I was really believing tonight. I just knew it. I, I do think Dimitrov is in, capable of incredible things. And I'm always, I, I always think, well, if he does pull one of those out, I want to be there. You know? And, and so I'm not going to just turn my back on it. Because I love watching him when he's playing really well. And I do like him as well. I think he's a nice lad. Um, so optimistic you know. and loyal are definitely yeah. definitely two words I would use to describe yeah. David. <laughs> it, <laughs> West Bromwich Albion fan, for God's sake. It is a dream a lie if it don't come true, David. <laughs> no, it's something worse. Oh dear. Um, von incidentally, won incredibly comfortably today against uh uh, Katarina Alexandrova and just trucking through this draw under that, the radar. Surpri- that surprised me that she won. I, I don't know what the score was, but I, I, I didn't expect barely that. dropped games. Barely yeah. dropped Two games. Two and one, I think. And Peyton Stearns now for the quarterfinals. Um, and yeah, I'm really pleased she's backing up that Wimbledon win. Really pleased. I think, I think it's, it's great impressive. for tennis. Yeah, I agree. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. Tomorrow's schedule, folks. Ash, starting at midday with Tommy Paul against Ben Shelton. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. David's mm. picked the upset there. Then it is Karen and Wozniacki against Coco Goff. They've gone big in the day session tomorrow. I guess it's a Sunday, so day session probably bigger than night session for, for ESPN, for those that are able to view ESPN. <laughs> I understand that the situation is ongoing. Oh. Night session starting at 7pm, starting with Borna Goyo against Novak Djokovic and then Iga Svantec against Yelena Ostapenko. I wish they wouldn't put the women's on after the men's. Generally, they're better here about that than elsewhere. It, they do tend to put the women on first, but I just wish wish they wouldn't. Um Louis Armstrong Stadium, 11am, Mukova against Wang Jinyu, and then Saranika Steyer against Belinda Bencic. No official night sessions on Armstrong anymore, it's just consecutive matches from 11. Third match is Rinki Hijikata against Francis Tiafo, and then Dominic Stricker against Taylor Fritz. you got Leila Fernandez, Taylor Townsend in doubles action on grandstand against Karolina Pliskova and Donna Vekic. Hey. Coach Shriver. Yeah. And then Taylor Townsend's back in doubles action on grandstand. Third match on against Ben Shelton. Pierre Gebert, Nuklamau. With Ruge- Ben Shelton. What did I say? Against Ben against. Shelton. No, with Ben Shelton. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, were back together. They're first on mm. 17 tomorrow. We like that. Uh, lots of doubles elsewhere. Jen Brady, David, is playing with some player, Louisa Stefani. Oh. What a player she is. Yeah. I, she is, I tell you. If <laughs> ever, ever you get a chance to go watch Luisa Stefani play doubles, she is amazing. Yep. 
Tomorrow. If you're at the US Open tomorrow, that is your chance. Do it, we'll, folks. We'll be at the US Open I'll be tomorrow. There. We'll be back with another tennis podcast tomorrow. We have our mascot, Willow. Hello, Willow. We have our mascots. I've got Xenia. David's got Maisie. Hey, you're right, Maisie. And Matt has Darwin. You've both been let down by Nicholas Jarry, Darwin. Yeah, don't worry, Darwin. Nicholas Jarry is out, <laughs> so I can now make other picks. <laughs> Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. And we have our executive producers, Jamie, Hannah, Andrew, and Matt. We have shout-outs. We have Claire in Melbourne. Right, Claire. Just Claire. Just Claire. Like Prince. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. And like like Claire Claire Liu. Liu. Yeah. Do we know any other Claire's? Wood. Wood, who was a former British player and is now, I think, an official in at Wimbledon actually and I think maybe on the women's tour as well can't quite remember but anyway Claire thank you very much for being a friend of the Claire podcast. with an eye or without an eye with an eye Claire with an eye so not like balding because she's no eye correct Melbourne great city yeah we be coming thank you Claire you're very mysterious Claire but mm. we like you we have another mysterious one we have Carrie Cumberland Ooh. Slightly less mysterious in Washington DC, hey. like a Cumberland sausage. <laughs> yeah, okay. Can't think of any Carries from the tennis world. I'm afraid. Carrie Mulligan, not that, from the tennis world. That's an to act- be clear, actor, actress. Well, yeah, actor. From what? Loads Lots of stuff. Things. What does Carrie Mulligan do? Acting. No, I understand that, but give me a sample. She's in. What's it called? She's in. Uh, oh, what was the one about Harvey Weinstein? Yes. Recently. Which I That's on what the I'm thinking. Indian which, is, which is great. So she all, said? She said. She did that. She was in the Great Gatsby um, remake, okay. Leonardo DiCaprio. I went to see in 3D and took the 3D glasses off after three and a half minutes. <laughs> totally terrible experience. Not Kerry Mulligan's fault. No. Uh, anyway, Kerry. Yeah, thanks thank for being a friend. Thank you very much. Pod. And finally, we have Rachel Jones, who is in Switzerland, but originally from Wolverhampton. Hey! Go on, Rachel. Although she does say, sorry, David, Wolves supporter. Oh, Rachel. Like Rachel, no, no, no. That she was a Raquel. I was going to say Rachel Cop, Cops Jones, but it was Raquel. There must be other Rachels. They help me out here. Rachel McQuillan. <laughs> oh, somebody Google that. I'm sure that's a person. I'm sure that's a tennis person. Absolutely convinced. I of went it. to primary school with a Rachel. Did you? Yeah, we were good friends, and then she and Nailed her it, family David. moved to San Francisco. Never saw her again. <laughs> okay, um, Matt? I'm buying his time while Matt Googles. Yeah, Rachel McQuillan, a retired tennis player from Australia. She won five WTA Tour doubles titles. Highest ranking, 28 in singles. Yep, got reached, to the fourth round. the fourth round at three of the four slams. 
Uh, I do not know how I know her name. You but did good there, David. I'm really she's, proud. She's got a she's got a bit of a Julianne Benito situation going on with her singles finals. Seven finals, seven defeats. What's her doubles record sounds like? like? Sounds like a relived. Her, her doubles is better. Five, uh, five wins, 11 defeats in okay. 16 finals. So Guy, she did win titles. Guys, it's 2.15am. Sorry, we're doing, a, <laughs> we're doing a deep dive on... Rachel McQuillan. She got a bronze medal in the 1992 Olympics. Mm. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> crack on. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's very much it. Um, if anyone's still listening. <laughs> um, yeah, don't worry, we'll leave you now. We'll be back tomorrow, or rather later on today, with our Day 7 tennis podcast from the US Open. It's it's really catching fire, isn't it? I feel like the, it, it it quite often is the middle weekend at the US Open. Not so much last year because obviously the Serena run the the first week was so all about the Serena run. But I can really feel this tournament building, and it's mm. it's fantastic. I, yeah. I, it really feels like it's building towards something Taking extremely shape. fun. So. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Stick with us, folks. We have eight more of these to come. And then our review show for Friends of the Pod. We'll be doing a Q&A as well. Lots more to come. And I'll leave you with the words of Daniel Medvedev to Pam Shriver. I just want to go to sleep. That's it. 